Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome to the DFD or Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Here, we want to discuss all things dairy farming. This podcast is about getting information out that is going to help your dairy operations succeed. Our goal is to bring you timely information on beneficial topics. We plan to bring in some of the top names from the industry to share on the topics they have studied and more importantly, are passionate about sharing with you, the listeners. I hope everyone enjoys this week's episode and thanks for listening. Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome back to the DFD podcast. Uh, we have another awesome episode lined up for you guys this week. Uh, this week it's just me and Keith. So we have officially nicknamed Keith, co-host Keith. So Keith, give a hello there. Tell them what's going on. Hey everybody. I hope everybody's getting some rain today. Uh, I know I got just uh, north of where I live down here in uh, Rodney, Ontario. Uh, about a half hour north and all the way up through uh, Lambton. And uh, kind of North Middlesex today was raining. They looked like they had a good bunch. Uh, I know I was talking uh, with some colleagues up in the uh, Mitchell area. They got a good shot of rain this morning. So yeah. I think it's pretty uh, pretty happy in farm country today. Yeah, I was running around kind of between Fergus and Elmira today making a few calls and uh, beautiful, beautiful rain all morning. And uh, we're now kind of mid to late afternoon and it's still just kind of spitting out there a bit. So uh, they've been talking about it for about three weeks, and we finally got it. So I think a lot of farmers, the few I talked to, were pretty happy about it today, that's for sure. Yeah, the other thing, too, I think, is that a lot of people made some real, real high-quality haylage and some really, really primo uh, first-cut hay, uh, dry hay as well. Like From what I've seen in the last few years, this has been the best weather to do first-cut hay crop in a long, long time. Yeah. And I think a lot of producers... Uh, are getting some good inventory built up. I know in the past a uh, little bit, it's uh, or maybe the last couple of years, it's been tough to get good hay, and and you know we've been kind of skimping on feed inventory. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's really good that uh, we're getting some inventories built back up. Yeah, like like what I'm seeing is uh, protein's been kind of okay, moderate. Fiber's been good, uh, but the biggest key is that the weather was 100% cooperating. So. Yeah, I would say the exact same there. Like the the numbers have been coming back good, if not better than average. I would say like I'm seeing stuff in the low twenties for protein, which is great. Uh, but you'll you still see the same stuff too. You'll see I've seen some samples come back at sixteen, seventeen. So it depends. It it sometimes still gets away. It depends what maturity everything's at as well, right? So there's there's lots of variables on every farm and depending where you are and, and what's all in the mix. On the average samples I've seen, they're they're coming back better than what a normal first cut would come back talking about all these different forages and the good quality stuff coming off here i guess that ties in a little bit to what we want to talk about today we want to talk a little bit about benchmarking and basically overall farm profitability so some key parameters some key areas we can look at on the farm uh, to make our producers the most profitable possible i have been doing a benchmarking project here uh, i think we're getting a lot of really great information out of it mm -hmm takes quite a few hours to get everything put together but it's nice now we've got uh i've almost got maize uh numbers done and we're and we're starting to see some really good trends so mm -hmm. so what i'm doing with this benchmarking is i'm following all these herds every month so at the end of the month i'm taking the information that i'm gathering from uh, the dfo website uh from dhi from dairy comp and we're putting it all together into one spreadsheet and uh, so the idea is that i benchmark against uh against spark benchmark against these herds and then I'm benchmarking against themselves. So I think if you do 
a project like this, you have to look at uh, what the individual firm's doing and, the, and track the changes month to month. But it's also good to compare against a peer group because I feel that it creates a little bit of competition. Uh, it also really creates a lot of uh, a lot of questions out of it with uh, other people. So you know they're looking at what Farm One versus Farm Ten versus Farm Twelve is doing, and they're really saying, well, what are they doing differently that we could do here? Or what do they do really well that, you know, that we can implement at this farm? So this is like an income over feed on steroids. Essentially, yes. Yeah, so that's exactly <laughs> is, what it is. This is taking the income over feed and just blowing it up completely and going way more in depth. Yeah, well, I wanted to look at a lot more cost, right? So as producers look at this stuff, like they look at, at the end of the day, they've got to sign a check to a bunch of different suppliers. So... Um, and there's a lot of kind of rhetoric out there on, on what to look at. Like, do you look at income over feed cost? Do you look at dollars per liter of milk produced? Do you look at dollars per fat corrected milk? Do you look at uh, your feed to expense ratio or your expense to feed ratio? Like, there's a lot of different things that you can look yeah. at. So I wanted to tie it all into one uh, spreadsheet. So if we go back to the top, like, we've been doing a really good job as a group tracking return over feeds yes. i know we put a lot of uh, work into that but i wanted to break it down into four different sections so i wanted to look at production so how the farms generate revenue i wanted to look at revenue so the income that is generated uh from the production i wanted to look at expenses so what does it what does it cost a producer to produce that money yeah. that they're bringing in and then i also want to look at demographics so uh, and the processes that farmers use to make milk. So I want to look at housing type. I want to look at feeding systems. I want to look at milking frequencies, yeah. look at milking systems, you know, compare uh, parlor versus AMS, um, that kind of thing. So, I mean, we found a lot of really great information out of this. I get way more excited about it than I think a lot of producers, but <laughs> the producer feedback that I've got has been really good. So, I, I think they find value in some of these numbers and they're always interested in what their neighbor's doing. So, Well, and you, I, I watched, uh, well, so just so everybody else knows, I guess as well, if you want a little bit more in depth on the benchmark project, uh, Keith does have a video up on his YouTube channel about that as well. It's about a half an hour video and he really goes super in depth and we're, we're going to talk more about it here in a few minutes. The one thing you said that, that, that did strike me a little bit was interesting was any any other company in the world they know what it costs to produce a unit of whatever that company makes. So you, you, I think you use the analogy of cookies and cars or something like that. It doesn't matter yeah. what, what it is, but the, the analogy I thought made sense because I still talk to a lot of producers, even today, even progressive guys are still not always sure what it's costing them to produce a unit of whether it's components, whether it's a liter of milk or however you want to break that down into, there's, there's a lot of different ways we can still break that down, I guess. But, I don't know, like, so how do we bring that home, I guess, because even talking to some producers, asking questions about specifically about this, everybody has their own little nitpick that they look at their return over feed or their cost uh, per unit of something. And and so how how is your benchmarking program bringing this all, all home, I guess, because it seems to kind of encompass a lot of different areas. Yeah, and so that's I kind of wanted to get some of that white noise out of the system. Like, so everybody wants to look at something a little bit different. So the inspiration or the ideas that I got are all from producers. So I've got producer A that wants to see, you know, what's my cost of production? Like, how much does it cost me to produce a liter 
of milk. How much does it cost me for a kilo of dry matter uh, when I feed it to a cow? So I wanted to get all that stuff. And then I wanted to find out, you know, I think income or feed cost is king. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but I was reading a study from uh, Chris Wolf, uh, and it was back at his MSU days or Michigan State days. And he's at uh, Cornell now, I believe. Uh, but he looked at a milk to feed ratio. And even at the end of that study, he said, hey, I want to look at income or feed costs. He goes, I think that's going to be the, the king. Like I said, like you mentioned with that analogy, I needed to, uh, I think it's important for these farms just so that they know what it is costing and produce. Um, because I do feel sometimes you might be, you might have really high production, but are you chasing, are you spending a dollar and making back a dollar 25 or, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. Is the return that you're getting worth the expense that you're putting out? Yeah, I, I, I travel across the border periodically for work a bit, obviously not during COVID here, but otherwise I'm going over there usually once a month. And, and I've talked to a bunch of the producers I work with and customers I work with, uh, and they always ask, what's the one thing that's different over there? And I, I still think one of, well, obviously the milk price is probably the biggest, but aside from milk price, the biggest thing I continually see is the amount that whether it's a 30 cow dairy or a 3000 cow dairy over there, every single one of them is watching that return so closely, which I still don't think in Ontario, we're probably doing a good enough job of we're putting additives in, but we're not actually measuring to see whether they're impacting our overall, our overall um, return on feed, basically. Yeah, and, and I mean, you got to look at an ROI. Like, if, if any business is going to do something, if they're going to put money out, like, what kind of money or what kind of revenue am I going to generate to cover the cost of this investment? So I think that uh, as dairy farmers and business people, as we evolve, I, th- I don't think, like, we're a lot different than what the U.S. is. I think their margins there are a lot tighter than what they are here. But... As I've done this for the last, you know, 10 or 12 years, I think that the, uh, I think that the margins here in Canada, like these farms are very highly re- leveraged. Like they've got a lot of, they've got big mortgages and, mm-hmm. and as the younger generation kind of takes over, um, they're squeezed a little bit harder. And, uh, you know, to make ends meet, they've got to know, does what we're investing today pay me back tomorrow? Because they've yeah. got, you know, the wolves or the bankers at the door saying, hey, you need to make a mortgage payment. Yeah. They've got other suppliers in town. Hey, you got to make a payment on this. You got to make a payment on that. And the milk checks don't seem to be getting any bigger. No. Um, so how do we help our producers uh, be the most efficient in, in not only producing milk, but uh, getting good return on the invest on the feed investment that they're making. So moving forward here in the next few years, I think that's still going to be the biggest thing that we're going to be talking about with producers. And I think it will become a little bit more like the U S not in the sense of the milk price again, um, but in the sense of even the next generation coming up, the more progressive thinkers are saying we have to watch our dollars and cents more carefully than we have been. And if we don't, you know, this, it just extends everything that much longer. It's just not profitable. And, in a sense, maybe we've had it a little bit too good uh, and we have to start honing in a little bit on those numbers and paying a little bit closer attention. I was just, just yesterday I was at a, a, a producer's farm and his whole statement was, no, I switched to actually feed companies from, not from us, we, we were never feeding this farm. It was a farm that I called on, but he switched simply on a cost per ton basis. At the same time was feeling, actually feeling less kilos of quota 
and still thinking he was further ahead. So the mindset was still an old school mindset of this cost per ton. And I mean, I don't know if I want to get started on that rant or not, but I could I could go on for hours just talking about how useless cost per ton is to me. It's it's something that farmers really think about because at the end of the day, they've got to cut a check to the feed company. And so what they're looking at at that time is not necessarily what they're bringing in on a per cow basis, but what they're sending out on a, off their milk check, right? So I think the what they're doing is protecting themselves so they know they've got X amount of dollars they want to spend on feed and that's what they're going to spend on feed. So I think it's, it's up to us as, uh, as advisors and, and nutritionists to say, hey, let's stop and take a look at this and, and does what you're doing on a cost per ton make sense? It's, it is the biggest cost. There's no, nobody's denying that. And, and I'm not pretending that that's, that's not a real issue. I think for me, the, the situation is though, is say we spent an extra $50 a ton. Maybe we feed a little bit less of that feed, but it's a higher quality. There's more nutrient density to that same feed. And we can actually True. make that producer potentially more milk on less feed. That cost per ton is at that point absolutely irrelevant because your well, cost per then- ton may be more than your neighbors. But you're you're feeding less and you're getting more milk, so your return is still way better than the guy down the road who's bragging about his his low cost per ton. Well, I, and I think that producers really have to look at the cost per head per day, like like what you like to what you said. You can look at your cost per ton, but if you got to feed an extra kilo of that, then is it really cheaper? You know, maybe fifty cents. You know, it might cost you two dollars and fifty cents a cow. Or something like that. Like I'm just using this as yeah, an example, yeah. but it might cost you two hundred two dollars and fifty cents a cow with the new program you're going with, but it's five hundred dollars a ton, you know, versus six hundred dollars a ton, but you're feeding less of it, and then maybe it costs you two dollars and twenty five cents. And right. did you see a change? So, so you know that twenty five cents per cow per day translates into like three hundred milliliters of milk. So I, I think there's a lot of different things that that we can look at. And uh, and part of our job too is to make sure that uh, that these producers are making informed decisions when it comes to yeah. comes to their feed bill too, right? So yeah, and and not to, again not to beat a dead horse here on this on this topic, but I think the other thing is too we we in the feed industry there just seems to be countless additives that you can put into your ration, and again I think in the U.S. they're not afraid to put those additives in, but they're going to make darn sure that that additive is giving them an ROI. In Ontario, well, and- I think we've been guilty of putting those additives in and not actually measuring whether that's the nutritionist not doing their job properly, whether that's the farmer not really being worried about it. But regardless, there's no, there doesn't seem to be measuring taking place when we're adding in expenses. And I think we need to do a better job of doing that. And that's what I was saying moving forward here in the upcoming years, I think we're going to have to do that whether uh, whether we want to or not. Well, and that, and that's part of the reason I thought I'd put this benchmarking thing together. Now, I've thought about doing this for for a few years now, and I finally got the push from a producer uh, because they're building this year, and they're like, I want to drill down what it is, what it's truly costing us to yeah. produce milk because their idea is like, so we're in an older barn. Um, we're, we're pushing these cows. They're not necessarily pushing, but we're, you know, we're trying to maximize, uh, the milk production in this barn, does it make sense for me to reduce my production and lower my cost uh, 
and milk more cows when I go into this new facility because it's going to be a little bit overkill for what they're doing. But the idea is that they're going to grow into it. So I said to the producer, I'm like, well, the only way we're going to know that is if we actually measure what your cost production is now. So it kind of, it kind of made me, gave me a kick in the butt, I guess, to, uh, to kind of get all this done. And I thought, well, if one producer wants to see this, why doesn't a bunch of other producers want to see this? And then why can't we compare it to each other? So Keith, why don't we go through some of the highlights from the benchmarking project? So to start off, so I've been using uh, the income over feed cost that uh, that SureGain's been putting out. And uh, so I used a lot of their prices in there just so I could standardize it. So all the information that I am gathering from these farms is going into that database as well. Uh, so we've used standardized pricing on corn silage, haylage, uh, dry corn, high moisture corn, cob meal, hay, and straw. Okay. So some of the analytes that I'm looking at, so I'm looking at uh, milk production, milk fat percentage, so kilograms of milk fat, like like how many kilos of butter fat is each cow producing. Uh, I'm looking at milk protein. So for milk fat, I'm averaging the tank for the month. So for instance, in May, I'll take all your tests on that tank for the month, and that's where I come up with the milk fat percentage. Uh, I do the same with protein. And then I combine those components. So like you mentioned before, Luke, working down in the U.S., so their kind of gold standard down there is six pounds. And how that works out here in uh, metric is uh, 2.7 kilos. So if you're making 2.7 kilos of components uh, between fat and protein, you know that's going to kind of translate into kind of what the U.S. producers are looking at. Uh, the other thing I'm looking at is energy corrected milk. Uh, I think this is important because it standardizes everybody at uh, 3.5 fat, 3.3 protein. And uh, so it gives you a, a milk uh, number there. And I also need this number later on for feed efficiency, sorry. And I think going forward in the future, I think this is going to be probably the most, one of the most critical things that we're going to look at along with income over feed costs. So you can make a lot of money or if you're not using your feed dollars that you're spending efficiently, uh, I think that's something that these producers can look at. Uh, the next number I'm looking at is uh, day and fat corrected milk. Uh, so I wanted to use this because this standardizes everybody across there. So this takes your production back to 150 days of milk, 4% fat and uh, 33 protein. Uh, so this puts everybody on a level playing field. Outside of milking frequency, uh, this is as probably as close as we could uh, standardize everybody in the group. Uh, The next thing we look at is uh, somatic cell. So uh, everybody kind of knows what somatic cell is. I think it's really important, uh, especially with fresh cows. And I mean, we can get into that topic on another episode, Luke. But I think going forward, you know, the old adage was uh, 200 SCC. And after over uh, 200,000 SCC, you're starting to lose milk. Some of the research coming out of the universities now is actually, hey, actually over 100, you're starting to lose milk. So I heard you say that on the video too. And I mean, that that sounds good in theory, but how realistic do you think that is that guys are going to be able to get their, you know, that we're going to start to see somatic cell count under 100,000 as an average? Do you think that's coming? There's producers already doing it. It's just how, how do you do it? Like uh, I had a producer tell me one time that your somatic cell is as high as you can stand looking at it. It's a, it's, no. it's all man, it's all management. Like there's a lot of things, like there's nutrition involved as well. A lot of it is, uh, is farm management. So if the producer sets a goal, hey, I want to be under 150, you could bet your, you could bet your bottom dollar that 
that producer is going to do that. So whether that comes from culling strategies or nutrition or management, yeah. uh, that's, that's left to be said. But, uh, but I think that the going forward, uh, that a lower somatic cell is going to be, is going to be standard. I, and I don't know this for a fact, but I know there are provinces in Canada and, and places in the U S that pay on quality and, yeah, you know, maybe someday Ontario will be that way too. I don't know that. Um, I don't have that crystal ball in front of me, um, but it, but it is a possibility. So, yeah, I, I mean, I heard you say that. I, I, I definitely have farms as well that are under a hundred thousand, and uh, and you know they stay there maybe not year round, but they're definitely there a good chunk of the year, and they're even guys with with herd averages around a hundred or just maybe a touch over for the year. Uh, so it is possible. I just was curious, like when you said that, that that's that's pretty ambitious because you don't see that very often, and uh, it's it, it would be interesting as well to see if you're starting to do this benchmark project more often, how much are they putting a ton of time and energy and cost into trying to get that somatic down, and are they actually getting a return on that? Unless they're getting a premium for the somatic cell, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I guess. Um. So it's interesting you say as I get benchmarking this because it's true. I uh, it's a challenge for myself as well because then I look at the fee costs and I'm like, well, how can we do this more efficiently or where can I help this producer save money? Because yeah. I haven't done it in the past and now that I am, I'm starting to get some data and now I'm starting to think and scheme. Well, not really scheme, but I'm just starting to think <laughs> about how I can help this producer meet their goals or save them some money and then yeah. we get looking at other parameters so look at your like that maybe leads us in the next line on the thing is days and milk like yeah. your days and milk is your biggest influencer Absolutely. on the farm so if you have a lower days and milk if you're around that 150 to 160 you're going to make milk a lot cheaper than a producer that is constantly around 200 so the biggest influencer on feed efficiency is days and milk and the biggest and I feel like the biggest influencer on return over feed or income over feed cost is feed efficiency. It's one of those things that we really got to think about with these numbers. So it's not just feed that we're putting into these cows, but how efficiently this feed is being utilized to put milk in a bulk tank. There's a couple other things here too, uh, like with MUN. I'm not sure what to think about it. I think it's a really good indicator. Uh, myself... I don't want to see more than like a one, one point swing per day, uh, yeah, okay. or per tank when we're looking at it. But I thought it'd be interesting to see where these producers are sitting because I know a couple of years ago when it came out, we had a fielded a lot of questions about MUN, you know, what's it supposed to be? Where's the range? That type of thing. And, yeah. uh, I just felt like we as advisors didn't know a whole lot about it. And the more I learn about it, the more important of an indicator I, I really do think it is. So. And it's something to, that producers want to look at as well uh, to make sure that they are utilizing the protein that they are feeding because generally protein is the most expensive component of the ration. Um, so you want to make sure that you're utilizing that protein efficiently. So uh, to me, if you're between that 8 to 12, you're doing really well. And a lot of these uh, herds, I think the average on the on the group is anywhere from that uh, about 10.5 to 11.5 in the, in the five months worth of data that I have. So... The other thing uh, to think about or that I am looking at in here is uh, solids, non-fat ratio. Uh, so going forward, producers, the, the price structure is going to change. Uh, 
so other solids are going to be capped at a certain point and you're not going to make any more money. So as feed people, we've got to sit down and figure out, okay, what's the sweet spot on that SNF? Uh, lately, uh, I find like, I think that two, three, one, two, three, two has been, has been really good for producers because then you're maximizing that amount of protein dollar that you're shipping out. Uh, with, with your butter fat. So I think that's where you kind of have to fine tune some of these things to, to maximize your profitability. If there's people out there that don't understand that we, it, it is important. We need to know these numbers. And, uh, there actually is a really good webinar done by Chelsea Gordon, who's actually been on the podcast in the past. Any of your dealers or, or, uh, or reps there can get that out to you as well. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more about that. And she does a good talk. It's almost an hour long on really how to maximize your SNF so that you're the most profitable. What were some of the interesting takeaways from this for you doing the exercise and uh, and continuing to do it because there's obviously you're finding benefit in it. Yeah. So one thing, for instance, like if we look at uh, uh, milk price now, like for May compared to what it was in December, producers have lost fifty cents a kilo on butter fat. Yeah, protein um, took a big hit there too. From even from March, I think I was looking earlier as well. Yeah, four cents on protein. Yeah. So. So like, and if you look at that, like, it seems like the protein was up and down, but then through April and through May, like, like with all the COVID stuff here, like yep. you could tell like the, the proteins really like from March to, to May has, uh, just almost a dollar less per kilo of protein. I mean, that's huge. And so it just emphasizes on the S and F ratio, like making sure that you are maximizing that amount of protein going out. The other interesting thing too, like other solids, maybe people don't think about that, but, uh, a lot of these herds are producing, you know, 1.8 to 2.2, say kilos of other solids, depending on their production level. <laughs> and like the other solids that have changed, you know, 10 cents a kilo too. So based on some of the information from the, the exercise itself, have any farmers made some adjustments to try and maximize anything, whether it's SNF or just their profitability or? Uh, the, the biggest thing I think we have to look at maybe in the future is uh, input control. And uh, what's it costing us to put feed into the cows now? There's lots of different things that you can look at with input control. Um, you can look at feed booking, uh, yeah. you know, booking uh, proteins, booking uh, grains if you're not growing your own grains on farm. Uh, booking of, uh, uh, if you're in an AMS situation, you know, booking robot pellets. Um, there's a lot of other things, you know, shrink is a big one on farm. Like, yeah. like how much feed are you buying that isn't getting put through a cow? You know, yeah. that's a big cost at the end of the day too. So there's a lot of different things that we can do to kind of control our inputs. And I think, uh, between feed efficiency, so looking at how efficient each dollar that you're spending on feed is, is being maximized on the farm. And then, how we're controlling our cost input, right? So, you know, buying, if we see a good deal on canola or see a good deal on soy, as a feed rep or as a producer, we really have to think about, you know, is this the right time for me to pull the trigger on booking this this commodity? I guess some of the other expenses we're looking at uh, with the benchmarking project is we're looking at, you know, what's it cost a producer to feed a cow per day? Yeah. Uh, what's that purchase feed cost per cow per day? I know uh, a lot of people say, ah, you shouldn't look at purchase cost. I am on the side of, yeah, you have to look at your purchase costs and things that influence it. Um, because a lot of times, you know, well, you could look at forage as a purchase cost too. You can, if you've got to buy that. Now I know some producers had to buy some beet pulp this year and had to buy some hay and had to buy some straw and things like that. But generally a producer's cost to production. And this is where I think we find where we place our numbers on the forages is that 
we wanted to go somewhere between what a cash cost was on it. So if you had to buy that ton of corn silage from your neighbor, what it would cost you to do that and what it costs you to produce it on your farm. Now, yeah. I know a lot of people can produce it for a lot less than what the cash cost is. So we're just trying to find a happy medium where, you know, we're trying to get the best of both worlds, which is which is tough, but at the end of the day, we just have to pull the trigger on a number, and that's the number we're going to use, and yeah. so that's and, it. And, right? and so. I mean, Jason touched on that a little bit too on the on the IOF uh, episode that we did, but that's exactly right. Like, we, we had to pull the trigger on a certain number, and stick to it, right? Because it, it takes away from the games that were played 10 years ago when I first started on the road and different companies would be out there and they would just play with the forage numbers uh, to make it say whatever they needed to to make their IOF look better, right? So what this does is it, it actually holds us accountable when we're doing it because it locks in. Even the other day, I was actually on a Mennonite farm and uh, he said, oh, I don't want to do an IOF. You guys all just make the numbers whatever you want them to anyway to make your numbers look good. So this has really just kind of solidified and taken the opportunity for anybody to really take that out of the equation. So was yeah. there anything else, Keith, on the benchmark that really stood out to you or anything else you wanted to make mention of on the on the episode today? Well, I think a lot of it is just going back through some of these expenses and knowing what your input costs are. Uh, and then the other couple of things we were looking at, I, I talked to a couple of producers about too, was, you know, what's it cost you to produce a kilo of fat? What's it cost you to produce a kilo of protein? Um, an interesting one I was looking at as well was your feed to milk ratio. So if you spend or get a dollar for milk sales, what does that cost you to produce? And vice versa, if you spend a dollar on expense, how much milk revenue is that generating back to your farm? So I thought these were some different numbers. Like it's just a, it's a, it's a way, it's a different way to, to peel a orange or an onion or whatever analogy you want to use. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You could use skin a cat, whatever, <laughs> but it's just a different way of looking at it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we just want to make the most informed decision that we can for our producers. Uh, and so the more ways that we look at it, it creates a lot of discussion and it could maybe create a little bit of, uh, anxiety i guess when you actually do have to come down to make a decision and pull the trigger but i think the more information that we have the better more informed decision that we can make for our producers right and at the end of the day we're working together with with these great people that are producing uh, a great product and we're just trying to support their livelihood and help them make the best decisions they can for that so yeah absolutely and and I, I think the other thing that uh, we all have to be aware of is that this doesn't have to be a one-man show, so it doesn't have to just be the nutritionist. We're trying to do as much as we can from our end to help bring valuable information. But I was just at what we, we quote-unquote call a State of the Union meeting on Friday afternoon. And today, for the record, is a Tuesday, so just a few days ago. Uh, I was out We're Canadian. We should call it the Address to Parliament. <laughs> true, true. Um, but, uh, it was, it was really beneficial having the whole team there. So there was myself and two other reps, the vet and actually a vet in training and the producer, his dad and uh, his wife. And, um, it was a great opportunity to have everybody on the farm that's kind of involved in any of the major decisions that happen on that farm all in one place at one time and have some really, really good dialogue around what, what's going on. So all that just to say that there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of numbers in this whole 
process of benchmarking or figuring out profitability on your farm. And all I'm saying is that it's sometimes really good a few times a year to have the whole team, everybody involved at the farm at one time. And sometimes it can get a bit heated, but at the end of the day, you can start to really set some goals and uh, really start to come back, I guess, to that measure to manage mentality of we need to put something in place so we know whether we're actually achieving the goal or not. And then we can start to look at the financials behind that. We can look at the SOPs behind that. We can look at all the different uh, variables and parameters that pull into that equation and uh, and make sure we're doing everything to make that farm as pr profitable as possible. No, and I, and I do it a lot too with the producers as well. And uh, I try to host three a year. And I, I guess maybe the last thing I kind of want to talk about with the benchmarking here, yep. uh, Luke, is uh, dry cows. Like I, I've been tracking dry cow feed as well. Like what's it cost you to produce uh, to feed dry cows? Because I think uh, sometimes uh, that's not taken into effect when we're thinking about culling decisions on the farm. It does cost, I think the group average is somewhere around 350 to say $3.80, somewhere in that range. Yep. Um, to feed a dry cow, some are a little bit higher, some are a little bit lower. Um, it takes into effect whether you're feeding a one cow, or sorry, one group dry cow, yeah, sure. whether you're feeding in yeah. salt, uh, if you're feeding a close up far off group. So there's a lot of different parameters there, but I just wanted to check it. I'm looking at, um, what's it close, what's it cost you to feed a close up? What's it cost you to feed a, or a one group or whatever? And I've got that differentiated, but I think that's an important thing to look at too, because I don't want to piss off all the horse people, but it's kind of like having a whole bunch of horses around because they're not really generating any income, but they are costing you some money to feed them. So when that cow gets dried off or even when that cow gets freshened, my thought is like you're going to feed this dry cow for 60 days. Does it make sense? Does it make sense to breed that cow back because you're going to have to feed her uh, during a dry period? Or do we have enough new animals coming down the pipeline that it would be better off to give a heifer a chance because, uh, I was told one time, uh, I was like, well, I was talking to the producer and like, well, old cows are, uh, are, are more profitable. And he goes, yeah, but you have to have young cows to get old cows. So, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of one of those yeah. things where, you know, we learn a lot from producers when we're talking to them and, yeah. and they, they say the darndest things, you know, so <laughs> they sure do. No, that's good. And so that was, you were saying that was kind of your final thought on the benchmark. Was there anything else? I, I don't want to miss anything there. Um, I did get into some demographics with it. So I think in last month, and we've been averaging anywhere from 24 to 2,600 cows, just depending on the market in the, in the group. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's been interesting. Uh, and maybe actually even more once we factor the dry, the dry cows in. I mean, that's just on the lactating cows. Uh, some other things that we're kind of looking at is, uh, uh, feed efficiency, like I mentioned before, which I think is going to be really important going forward. Uh, especially, uh, you know, as this feed dollar, feed doesn't, you know, it fluctuates with the markets and things like that, but it doesn't seem to be getting any cheaper. So how are we going to take our feed dollar that we're spending and, and, and produce milk the most efficient way? So things like that to look at, uh, amount of forage, uh, we're feeding to some of these herds. So, you know, we're flirting with 70% forage diets, yep. uh, in some of these herds. So that, that's good to see and producing tons and tons of milk. So, and that goes back to feed efficiency. You know, these are pretty fresh herds. They don't really go outside of that 150 to 160 days of milk. So, you know, we can, we can feed these higher forage diets and, and, and make tremendous amounts of milk. So yeah, at the end of the day, I, in March there, I did that presentation, like you said on YouTube. And then we were looking at the different production systems. It seemed like three X herds were making the most components followed by AMS, followed by two X, which is kind of what we've seen. 
but I think uh, some of these AMS herds are going to give some of these 3X herds a run for their money. So I think the more we learn about robots, the more fine-tuned we can get them in there. And, and you know, we're seeing some tremendous or some huge amounts of milk and some big component numbers coming out of these herds. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and we're playing with, again, some, some neat ideas there about trying to um, potentially, you know, reduce the amount of pellet we're feeding through that robot. So what's yeah. kind of the lowest number we can do? And that's going to have a big impact on their ROF. So they can keep the same milk yeah. as a 3X farm. Spe- but- especially on the purchase side. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So it's going to help, right? So, um, and we're definitely, we're definitely playing with some pretty low numbers there and still having some relatively good success. So I think there is going to be some really interesting data and, and trials coming out with that in the near future here as we see what, uh, what farmers are willing to try and experiment with a bit as far as limiting the amount of robot pellets. So the one other thing we were going to touch on today. So I, I know, uh, you just did a great video on this as well was on the importance of water. Um, we did, you and I both kind of decided that we weren't going to do a whole podcast episode on water just because you did a video on it. And we did, uh, touch on it a little bit in the last podcast as well. So if you haven't listened to the, the heat stress podcast, uh, give that a listen to as well. Pedro and Keith and myself have a good discussion around, uh, all the parameters, but one of the key topics obviously around heat stress is, uh, making sure water is available and clean. Um, but Keith, did you want to touch on that a little bit? I know you had some, uh, some interaction there with some producers on Twitter and some comments and things like that. Did you want to touch on that a bit? Yeah, I did have the comment like, and and it it was a really good question. Actually. I, I like, uh, I like some of the interaction that you get in the social media platforms. I mean, it's not always good all the time, but this was a really good question from a producer. Uh, and they're like, uh, please show me actual documentation that a cow can drink 200 liters of water. I haven't met anyone yet that has gone more than 120 liters. Uh, the last seven days, my average has been 110 liters per cow per day. And remember that cows don't drink the water that you dump out of the tip tanks, which I thought was a really good important. That's a that's uh, a great point. point. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's true. It's it's going down in down the gutter and, and out to the manure pit. But there's a lot of different factors uh, with uh, water consumption on farms. So you know, dry matter intake, milk yield, sodium intake, water temp, temperature, humidity, water quality, water availability availability sorry i can't speak this afternoon uh and then the percent of moisture and feed so uh the information that i am getting for these videos is coming from uh, reputable universities and studies that i've i found through google or experiences that we've had on farm like when we get into some of these technical numbers they're done in a research uh setting so i like to try and find our own numbers and which leads back to the benchmarking but i also like to find uh, producer or like more commercial uh, Applicated number or applied numbers. So the information that we are getting for this stuff is uh, is coming from reputable sources. And I just uh, yeah, I thought it was a good question. So yeah, and and on the note of the comment there, we just want to encourage anybody that's listening to the podcast to feel free to chime in to challenge us. Uh, we're always looking at new ways to make this interesting and entertaining for you guys. Uh, good arguments always entertaining for everybody. So it's not a it's not an argument, Luke. It's a passionate discussion. A passionate discussion is always something we're all very interested in. A passionate discussion is always entertaining. There's no question about that. Yeah. And uh, and what we're trying to do is the information we're bringing you. We feel very confident, and we are backing it by research and science. So. Uh, feel free to challenge us and we we are happy to source where we're getting our information from or whether it's happening directly on farms that we're working with as Keith is talking about today uh, I, I don't think we can argue with the data that's there um, but and, uh, but we love we, we encourage you guys we want to have more interaction with the listeners 
And we want the other thing I wanted to mention as well is we want to know what you guys are interested in so that we can bring the most value to your farm. Um, so we'll talk more about that later, but I, I do want to just put that out there to anybody listening. We're, we're wanting ideas and thoughts on what you guys think are going to be the most valuable to your farm. At the end of the day, we're doing this for, for the producers out there and, and, uh, to be honest, we're flying by the seat of our pants. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so, and and we've said it a bunch of times in the past, but we we really encourage you guys to use these as conversation starters. So anybody listening to these podcasts or these episodes, uh, reach out to your reps, reach out to people around you, have some discussion about it after the fact, and uh, use it as a platform just to to launch that discussion because you know we're always trying to progress the industry. We're always trying to think outside the box. And uh, the only way we do that is by talking to each other, figure out what worked, what didn't work for somebody else, and uh, and push each other forward so that we can uh, we can keep moving this industry and, and become ultimately as the, the the topic today is we can become more profitable. I think we should uh, get to the Q and A part. Yeah, um, I know I mentioned on Twitter there uh, we were looking for a Q and A. Um, we did get a little bit of feedback like that question that we just answered from that producer about water, uh, but we did have a. We did have another question about uh, about Kuzma, actually, which uh, it's not uh, necessarily in our wheelhouse, but uh, I just wanted to maybe touch on it a little bit. So, yes, I know. Uh, I do like the order that you you read that in as well as Kuzma. So, yeah, well, Canadian first, right? Absolutely. So, as everybody knows, the uh, the Canadian U.S. and Mexico agreement comes into effect on July 1st. And so what's happening is producers are essentially losing class seven. So with the creation of class seven producers were the Ontario uh, processors were allowed to export skim milk into the world market. And uh, we're not going to have that ability anymore. So I don't know. So the big guy in a bugaboo that happened was that we're losing our first year. So they were allowed X amount of tons in the first year that they're allowed to export into the market. They're not going to get that now. Like if it started on the August 1st on the dairy year, they would have got one year of that tonnage allotment. And then the next year would be reduced. So now as of August 1st, so the deal goes into effect July 1st. As of August 1st, we go into the second year of the deal. So that uh, amount of skim milk powder that was originally what producers thought was going to be allowed to be exported won't be. We have to go to year two numbers. So I honestly, I don't know how that is going to affect the Ontario or the Canadian market. I don't know if there's going to be more skim there. They could, uh, you know, we could see a reduction in price of milk replacer because skim's more available or they could, there might be some tweaks made to the, to the SNF ratio to lower the amount of, uh, skim that's coming in. I, I really just don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, there's still unknowns with that, and we will we will do our best to keep you guys posted. Obviously, uh, keep an eye on the DFO website as well. It's definitely going to help with a lot of that information as it comes up. We're going to know more, and um, I'm sure they're they're meeting regularly trying to figure this all out as well. So, now, Luke, was there anything else? Any other questions that you had, kind of with the yeah, benchmarking? Yeah, the, the stuff one question or... I did have, and and I want to again, it's part of the episode today is we did want to reach out to you guys as the listeners a little bit more as well. And uh, I did have a a former customer of mine reach out and um, uh, ask if we're going to have more guests on outside of the Suregain umbrella. And the the bold answer to that is 100% yes. We Keith and I are making a a, a great effort to try and reach out outside of the Suregain umbrella. As you remember, in the last episode, we mentioned that this was never intended to be an advertisement. This was never intended to 
be a product promo podcast and, and we've done our best to kind of keep it that way. We're really trying to make profitability uh, and farm profitability our main focus. And so uh, just for a heads up for the next uh, episode coming out in two weeks again. Uh, Luke. Uh, yes, sir. I don't know. If, let's not mention any names. Let's keep it a secret and keep it, uh, keep everybody okay. All right, hanging. But we do have yeah. a really, we do have a really, uh, really good vet coming on next week to talk yeah. or in two weeks. We, uh, yeah, it's a well-known vet and obviously it's a, a topic that comes very timely with uh, with the summer heat and the impact that can have on reproduction. And so there's going to be a lot to talk about on that. And hopefully that's a value-added subject to uh, you, the producers. Again, yeah, if you guys have ideas, uh, the other thing we are really looking at trying to incorporate is uh, producer panels. Uh, so we really want to get your input. Obviously, the best input on anything farm-related is directly from the farmers. Uh, so that's where wanna... I learned my best stuff. What's that? That's where I've learned my best stuff. Over my <laughs> that's exactly right. Farmers, so, so. Uh, so anybody that's interested in that, also just feel free to, to shoot us a direct message there. We'd love to connect with you guys. And if you have thoughts or opinions about uh, some of the upcoming topics, we can go over some of those with you guys. And then we may be able to pull you in uh, on an episode and get your opinions on some of the topics because we're going to have a lot of good ones coming. Uh, with that, I think, guys, we're going to wrap it up for this week. And uh, you guys can look forward to checking out... Uh, Keith's video next Thursday or Friday and uh, it will likely be tied in somewhat with Repro and then in two weeks we're going to have uh, the mystery vet come in and uh, and give us his his words of wisdom to help us uh, understand reproduction throughout the summer months so with that guys again a huge thank you we really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening yeah hit us up on Twitter call email text we're uh, happy to hear from you thanks everybody thanks so much guys Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week. We really are trying to keep this podcast product and ad free. However, if you have any questions about what you've been hearing, we strongly recommend reaching out to your nearest SureGain dealership. We have reps across Ontario, Canada, and the USA that would love to come to your farm and offer solutions to those problems that have been keeping you from achieving your goals. Please feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you think might benefit from this information or on your social media platform of choice. I also encourage you to tune into Keith Schweitzer's YouTube channel. We'll be releasing podcast episodes every other Thursday, and Keith will be releasing YouTube videos on the opposite weeks. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to sharing with you real soon.